Amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody here today. I love that song. It, you know, the, the words uh, can, can be misconstrued if you're not understanding what they're saying. He doesn't get better. He's already good. He keeps getting better to us the more that we get closer to Him. And uh, it's just a, it's an amazing thing as the Lord allows us to be uh, drawn into His presence and uh, to have that relationship with Him. And so and we're thankful for that. So. Let's go to the Lord in prayer first thing this morning. Yeah, go ahead, brother. You got testimony. Let's do it. I just want to say, I just thank God today. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 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 You want to sing that? You want to sing that again? You want to sing? <laughs> Amen. 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 Praise God. Amen. <laughs> he is good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be in this place. And uh, just as we sang and that testimony was given, you are good. That we don't have uh, the vocabulary. We can't even uh, wrap our minds and our hearts around. Uh, your goodness, God. We, we're limited. We understand that. Uh, but God, we, we come to points like this where we're overwhelmed and we don't want to hold anything back. Uh, thank you that we have the opportunity to uh, collectively uh, lift you up and praise your name. Uh, Lord, there is no question. There's uh, sometimes we, we, we hold back the praise that you're worthy of, uh, that we can offer to you. And I, I pray that we wouldn't be guilty of that. And even as we get into your word this morning, and see what you have for us, that our hearts, our lives would be completely open for you just to pour into. And uh, Lord, that we wouldn't block off any part of us, Lord. We wouldn't hold anything back as you uh, just bring to us uh, what we need. And uh, Lord, we pray that if there's somebody watching online or somebody in this place physically, Lord, that doesn't have uh, a sincere personal relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, that before they leave or turn off their computer, they'll do that. Uh, they won't waste the opportunity, uh, as you say, today is the day of salvation. And those of us who've done that, Lord, I pray that your church today uh, would rise up and, and hear the call from, from thousands of years ago, uh, the, the, the testimony that was left by the first church, God, that we, as we saw last week, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, run just the race, but we'd run the race well, and we would finish strong. And uh, Lord, help us again to receive what you have, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we left off last week um, in, in our study of the church. We started it, and we talked about the disciples obeying the Lord's command to go back to Jerusalem and to wait for the Comforter to come, uh, the Holy Spirit. Before that, we learned uh, that Luke was the writer of the book of Acts, and that this book is uh, kind of a, a continuation of uh, his gospel account written to the same person, Theophilus. And, and I want to point out here uh, one of the major points that we saw in the first message, and it was found in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, and it says, Jesus said to them, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, 
And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And Jesus gave his followers, his disciples, which carries to us today, his disciples, his followers, a great commission, not a convenient commission. And that's what we talked about. It's not something that we are to do as it works for us. We are to carry it out even if it's inconvenient. We are to carry out the commission that Jesus Christ left for us to carry out. And it's to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I'll be honest with you, there's been times in my Christian life and in ministry that I've tried to do it in the power of my flesh, and every time I have failed, I've either gotten, um, you know, worried that somebody wasn't going to hear it, I, I, I was too busy, or I, again, but when, when we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, we ensure that we get this mission carried out, even if it's a difficult place. Again, it can't be done in our own strength because it always falls flat. But we learned that the Samaritans were those people that uh, Jesus commanded his followers to go to. And, and while we're not in that region today, what it meant for the Jews then, what it meant for the followers then, is to go to those places that even they didn't want to go. Go to those people to, they, to, to, to whom they thought uh, didn't deserve to hear the gospel. And again, today, that's still the command. Uh, if we're honest, we're, we're, we're guilty of trying to fulfill the convenient commission. Uh, and it's, it's just a lot easier for us. And, and I'll say this, I've said this many times before, and I'm not trying to be negative or anything, but it's just the reality. We are mostly spoiled Americans. And, and we live our lives, let's just be honest with each other, we live our lives a lot of the time for this world and for us. And, and, and we work in Christianity, we work in uh, the, the commission, we work in the kingdom of God at times that it best suits us. And again, that's not what we see. That's not what Jesus commanded. That's not what we're called to. And again, we have to reevaluate what we're doing in this world and, and why we're doing it, most importantly. The command was to every creature in every place, from the guttermost to the uttermost. And if we're honest, all of us were the guttermost, are the, are the guttermost. So do we ensure that? Or have we grown, grown callous to the need? Have we grown, grown so callous to the need because we're so filled in this superfluous culture, so, so filled with so many things to do, so many, so many things that we've got to get done, so many things that are our responsibility or we want, all those things. Are we so filled with that that we aren't ensuring what the most important thing is, is getting done? And we can reason it away. Well, it's my family, or it's my job, or it's my responsibility, it's this, it's that. We can reason it all the way. But the moment that we said yes to Jesus is the moment we gave up rights to ourselves. It's the moment that we said, I'm no longer going to live for what I think I need to live for. I'm going to live for the kingdom and the king. And a lot of times we think in human reasoning, well, that's just impossible. I mean, we've got to have jobs, we've got to have, you know, we've got to have family time, we've got to have this, we've got to have that. And, and, and don't get me wrong, God is the one that blesses us with our families. And God does give us uh, the charge to take care of our family and, and to provide and, and, and all those things. But all of those things fit into the, the eternal perspective of the kingdom of God. They're supposed to. We're all, our whole family, our whole church is supposed to be on mission 
reaching every human being. And, and again, human reasoning said, well, that's just, that's just impossible. Every person, every person all the time. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. That's what that first church uh, found out in the very beginning. Can you imagine that, that they, they were whittled down, the apostles, even to 11 guys, right? They had 12, now, now they were 11. And, and Jesus said, I want you to go not only to Jerusalem, we can handle Jerusalem, we can, you know, spend the rest of our life going to Jerusalem. Then he said, but I don't want you to just go to Jerusalem, because you can get that. I want you to go to all Judea. And then I want you to go even to Samaria. And then, oh man, Samaria, why? I don't want to talk to those people. You know, okay, right, we remember the woman. Okay, yeah. They, they, they go through that, and then he said, to the uttermost part of the world. And they, I'm sure their minds started spinning and thinking, look, we have no idea how to do that. We're just fishermen, and we know how to cross the sea. We know how to do all that kind of stuff, but there's no way we can figure out how to do that. And, and, and as a bridge from last week, that, that point to this week's message, point number one is this. God is the God of the impossible. He is. There's, there's no way to, to reason that out of our minds, and I believe we need to start living like we actually believe that. You know, there's been many times people have said that, uh, and I can't remember who, who said this, but um, we, uh, we think that we um, serve a God of the impossible, but we often live within the boundaries of our own reasoning, within what we think is possible. And, and that's not, I mean, God works there, but where, where God shows himself to be God is those places where we think things aren't possible, where, where we have to get out of that comfort zone and say, all right, God, this is all you. And what's interesting is, is, is God shows himself up when we get into circumstances like that, and that's when we surrender and say, God, you're going to have to do something, right? We, we go through something like a, like a health condition that is way out of our control. We go through a, a life change in our life where we have no, there's nothing we can do other than just trust God to handle it. And that's when he shows up and says, look, if you'll just trust me, I'll work it out the way that brings glory to me and works for my kingdom. We're just to go. We're to do. We're to obey. We're to let God work out the how. But doing this takes us out of that place of comfort. It takes us out of that place of convenience. And it places us in that place where he says that if you had the faith of a grain of mushrooms, it takes us to that place of absolute faith. As I said, it takes us to that place where we, say, we actually believe what we say. God is the God of the impossible. It's where he works the miraculous. Where man's wisdom becomes foolishness. Where the base things become divine tools. I want to be there. That's where I want to live my life. Always living like I believe that God is the God of the impossible. I want to have complete abandon for the cause of Christ. I think that's what the church is supposed to be about. Our prayer should be as it was for the disciples when, when he was walking on water and they was all afraid and, and he, he told them, oh, you a little faith. And, and they said, increase our faith. You know, Hudson Taylor, he's a great missionary to China. At first, it didn't look like that, but after, after time, the Lord showed up and, and did some things that just beyond human reason and human, uh, you know, possibility, if you will. But he said this, and I put it in the notes, I found that there are three stages in every great work of God. First is the impossible. Then it is the difficult. Then it is the done. He also said this, many Christians estimate 
difficulty in light of their own resources. And, and if, let's be honest this morning, that's exactly what we do. We, we look at what we're facing or what we're going to or we feel like that, that God wants us to do, wants us to accomplish, whether it was like these apostles, the uttermost part of the world, of Samaria, and, and, and we look at the difficulty in light of what we can do. Well, you know, I don't know that I have enough money. I don't, do we have enough resources to do that? We start reasoning like that versus saying God commanded, so we're just going to obey. doesn't mean we leave the, the things that God has given to us to, 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 uh, to steward. But that's what we do. We often estimate difficulty in a lot of our own resources. And he goes on to say, and thus they attempt very little, and they always fail. All giants have been weak men who did things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence to be with them. Leonard Ravenhill also said, no, faith is required to do the impossible. I'm sorry, to do the possible. Actually, only a morsel of this atom-powered stuff is needed to do the impossible. For a piece as large as a mustard seed will do more than we have ever dreamed of. Again, the first message last week was, was simple. It laid some very vital foundational truths about the church and for the church. Gave us insight of the first church and what we're supposed to look like, I believe, what is the last church on earth today. The points where Jesus is God, he's alive, and he's the chief cornerstone of the church. Point number two was Jesus gave a clear command and a mission to the church, which is what we just talked about. And the third point is Jesus is returning for his church, and he's returning in judgment. We have to also remember that faith and obedience go hand in hand. You can't say that I believe God, yet I don't obey him completely. That, that those things don't work. You see in Scripture— he, he, he said, even in James, faith without works is dead. They, they, there's, there's nowhere that you see the people of God trusting God, and there's an absence of obedience. It's always faith and obey, trust and obey. Where we left off in the very beginning was the disciples turning to Jerusalem, returning to Jerusalem, and they obeyed. And they were going in faith. He spoke. They responded, we're going to trust him and do it. I'm going to share a little story I've shared before, but of faith and obedience. A little application, if you will, for, for what we can experience and, and maybe see the, uh, the illustration, spiritually speaking. But um, when Avery and Addison were little and, and starting to learn to ride their bike and, and take the training wheels off, uh, they both were a little hesitant. I mean, I think Addison was a little more gun ho to, uh, to do it without the training wheels. Um, but there was this fear. And, and I remember even when, when Avery first started, she just, she wanted to have the training wheels off, but uh, she, she was afraid. She was afraid of, of what was going to happen. She was afraid that she was going to get hurt. And I told her, I said, it, it's going to be worth it. I mean, you've got to try. You've got you've to put forth the effort. You've got to even if you fall down and get scratches and, and, and get hurt along the way, eventually when you start learning to ride your bike, you're going to love it. It's going to be way better without training wheels. And so I, I explained every step and, and each step and how to do it and, and showed her how it's done. I got, got on the bike myself and, and, and show, showed her and then I, again, set the example before her. Put her hands on the, there and put her feet on there and talked to her about how to, to balance herself and I encouraged her. Then I would also correct her whenever she stopped doing what I told her to do because she started wiggling toward the curb or something. She eventually obeyed and followed the directions. 
put it into action, and she found herself writing. That's the same way with us. At some point, we've got to hear the words of our Father. Not just allow them to be there, but we've got to hear them, and we've got to actually apply them. We've got to trust what He says, that there's no other way to live the life He's called us to live, and then put it into action. Acts chapter 1 in our, in, in our text, verse 13 is where we pick up. So they were back there in Jerusalem, had obeyed his word. They were waiting on the promise. They were waiting on the comforter. And they were come in. They went into an upper room. And there abode Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes and, and Judas the brother of James. So again, they're all in Jerusalem, possibly in that same room that they had the last supper, the Passover with Jesus in. Uh, but regardless, they're all together. And verse 14 says this. I love this. These all continued, all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And I have to stop there again, and I want to ask, what did, what did it say they did? What, what were they doing? First of all, they immediately obeyed what Jesus said to do. They went back to Jerusalem, and they began to wait. They began to pray and, 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 and do what Jesus commanded, very simply. And when they were together, they weren't doing their own things and thinking one thing, or I think that we should be doing this, or I would like to do it like this. Hey, when Jesus, we used to do things like this. We used to do things like that. No, they were all together, continuing all of them in one accord. This explanation of this little verse can only come whenever we define who these people are. Who are they? Well, they're an assembly, right? They, they are in one place, assembled together. They're disciples, but they're, they're, they're disciples assembled together for the Lord. They are the first church. The men and women who followed Christ, the family of God themselves, men that He ordained. And they are continuing together in one accord. What, is, what does accord mean? We don't, we don't always use that word unless we're talking about Hondas, but the, sometimes let's be in accord. I mean, I guess somebody can use that still today, uh, and, and they do, but this word means unanimously. Again, with one mind, with one passion, with one accord. Uh, it's a unique word. As a matter of fact, it's, it's used 12 times in the New Testament, and of the 12 times that the word accord is, is used, it's used 10 times in the book of Acts. So it's interesting that we see in the very first church, the first church operating, that it's, it's, it's emphasized heavily, the use of this word, that they were together. They were unanimous. They were in sync. They were unified. And I think this helps us understand the uniqueness of that first Christian church. They were, there was a, a special unity there. There was something that no one else in, in that culture, no one else in society had experienced because of, 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 of who they were bonded by, the God of all creation. It gives us a little insight into the formula, I think. The image was the, the, uh, very, very clear that comes from a, from a Greek word, and, it, and it's a musical uh, imagery that it's given. Uh, a number of notes are sounded, different notes harmonizing to create 
a beautiful sound together. As instruments of a great concert under the musical direction of a master. That's exactly what happens in the church today as the Holy Spirit puts together the different parts of the body to work in perfect unison. So they're in perfect harmony. Perfect, unified, unanimously knit together because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what were they doing? What, what were they found doing? They were, they were together like a, like a, a, a concert in, in harmony. But what were they doing? It said very clearly, they were in prayer and supplication. I think that we need to take a lesson from that too. I think that is such a vital thing. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I'm so thankful that we're having a prayer service tonight. I, I, I've missed our time together praying like that. It's been so weird. That's one of the things that has, I've really struggled with is, is how we have been gathering together. Because, again, you, you read the, the first church, and even what we were experiencing before all this quarantine stuff, and it was like we were— more like a family, more like we were supposed to be connected and unified in fellowship and in prayer and, and, and all those things. And, and now, the, in the last several months, we've kind of been like, okay, we've had a church service, now leave, you know. And, uh, and so I'm excited for, for tonight, but this is an important lesson. This, this first church was about to have the Holy Ghost baptize them, and they were about to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And here they were, calling on the name above every other name, calling on God, making their requests known to him together, unified, again, like a, like a concert. Their hearts were knit, their voices were knit, they were together praying in one accord. I, I, I wonder, as we read that, if their supplications and requests were for, like, new chariots or new donkeys— or new breastplates, or I, I doubt it was. And I would say there's nothing really wrong with praying for those things. I mean, if you're praying for a donkey, that's cool. Um, but, or a chariot. But I think, especially if it's for the work of God, but I strongly believe they were focused on what Jesus had told them. They were, they were focused on praying for the Holy Spirit to empower them to accomplish what God had called them to accomplish. And point number two this morning, we take our cue from them on that. We must be in unified, harmonious prayer for God's will and work. If, if you aren't praying that you yourself and we as a church will accomplish the will and the work of God, I'm begging you today to start today. Start praying every day, God, help me, help us be witnesses for you. God, help me, help us as a church to accomplish the mission. Again, this, this goes back to what I was saying a while ago. We get so wrapped up with our own lives in this world. We get so wrapped up with things and stuff and busyness and responsibilities. And, and while, yes, we have to have jobs, and yes, we have to pay the, the bills, and yes, we have to, you know, take the kids to school, and there's activities, but our lives become defined by that. In this first church, we know they had families. We know there were things they left behind. Even Matthew himself was a tax collector. He left that. 
And so I just can't, I, I can't do that. I don't feel like God's calling me to, to leave my job. I'm not, what I'm talking about is having this heavenly, godly, eternal kingdom vision where you see your job and your family, your whole life on this earth in the context of God's eternal mission to see souls saved. That's where we're all supposed to be, not just full-time ministers or full-time. We're all supposed to be there. And God puts people in place, and there are people that he calls, whether they're evangelists or missionaries or pastors, and, and he puts to, to help keep us on track, to help us be reminded that this is what our lives are supposed to be about. Because how easily we get pulled into the other. All of us. But we've got to be, you know, if we're not praying for the same thing, we're not going to be striving for the same thing. Right? If, if we're not praying for the same thing, if, if you're praying for chariots and donkeys, or I'm praying for breastplates and, and, and foot covers, but God wants us praying for souls how are we ever going to see the power of God explode through this church? I believe the same way that they're about to see. That's, that's where it started. This is, again, you say, what, what happened in that first church? Because some of you already know what happened. Some of you know where the church went. And now today, in 2020, the church is on, on, on every continent. It's in every country. It's, it's all over. The disciples of Christ are all over this world. And, 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 and the power of God has been seen in your life if you've been saved. It's been seen in, 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 in your kid's life, your spouse's life. You've seen the power of God. You've seen God heal people. You've seen those things real. But what about the, just the, the great move of God? God in and through a local church. It started with unified, harmonious prayer for the same thing. Acts chapter 15, let's see what results. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names were together, uh, about 120. And I, and I want to stop right there because that's kind of an important, I think, caveat, parentheses to, to stop and, and make the point here because I want us to get what was going on and why that was put in there. So Peter, uh, the, we can say the leader uh, of the, the leaders at this point in time, Jesus took him along the, the, the seashore and they were walking. He was, you know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and uh, he, he said, what about John? And he said, you don't need to worry about him. You just need to do what I want you to do. And again, we, we see that going on. So Peter kind of stands up and he's about to say something, address the assembly. But before the, the, the Holy Spirit would allow Luke to write what was going on and what Peter was about to say, he said, you need to make sure and put this in there. You need to make sure that this is documented, what, who this group was. The number of the names were together, about 120, it says. So in three and a half years, the apostles, the followers of Jesus Christ, grew 10 times. Three and a half years, 10 times, from 12 to 120. By some what they would be considered church growth, church growth experts today, this might be considered a failure of a church. You've been in, in, in existence for three and a half years, and you had the best preacher, you had the most dynamic leader, the strongest, most powerful influencer that you could ever have on this earth, and you're left with 120 people. And to that point, Jesus himself might be criticized as not that great of a leader 
if in three and a half years they only grew by 10 times. Some people say, well, man, they, they should be, if, if Jesus was God in the flesh and, and, and these guys were absolutely sold out, they had left everything. They weren't holding back anything. They, they didn't know when they were going to go back home. They didn't know when they were going to see their wives or their kids. They, they were on a three and a half year mission trip for the kingdom of God. They were, they were risking life and they didn't know where they're going to sleep and they, all those things. They, they had given up everything. You couldn't ask for more all-in people. So it had to have been the leader. It had to have been Jesus that, that, that something was wrong with him. Three and a half years, you're not running a couple thousand. You sh- something's wrong. But this was healthy growth. And these were true disciples who had placed absolute faith. And they'd counted the cost. They were willing to go to, to death for Christ at this point. They had their minds set on things above, not on things of the earth. They were the ones that God would use beyond what we would say today is impossible or what is possible for man. These weren't a part of the multitudes that went away that we, we read about in the gospel accounts. If you, if you know anything about that, there were many people that were, in today's terms, were tuning in. To, to Jesus' services. Some of you know, like there's a Kanye West or whatever. I've never seen any of them. I've just read articles about it. But he has like uh, Sunday services. These are events people tune into, people show up for, whatever. Many people tuned in to Jesus' Sunday services. <laughs> if they had streaming back then, they'd be breaking the internet. A lot of views, a lot of likes, a lot of subscribes, a lot of bills and thumbs up. Many people were periodically showing up, coming to see what was going on, see who was being healed, seeing if they could see some type of miraculous thing happen, be excited, get their spiritual juices flowing. And maybe many of the people that were doing that were even considered members. But when it came time to be committed together for the same thing, for an eternal purpose, faithful together, when it came time for them to be in one accord for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world, when it came time for them to say, okay, now it's done, now now it's real, now it's where we move forward for the rest of our life for the king of kings. When it came to that, there were 120 and not the multitudes. Now again, those multitudes at times were following him. There's, there's no question. Those multitudes were there. They were real people. And uh, there's no question on my mind. We see that they were the multitudes that Jesus loved and had compassion on. He healed their sick. He fed their hunger on mountainsides. He preached messages. But there were messages that were hard. Like in John chapter 6, verse 53, where he says... Verily, 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 I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. That's not a very seeker-friendly message. That's not, look, we've got amazing ministries for you, your kids. You know, that's not, look, we, we want you to enjoy the time here. That, that's not... Any of those things, and while I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having good ministries for kids and youth and, and, and us enjoying the time together, that's not what Jesus was preached, 
preaching. He was saying, if you're not consumed with the Son of Man, and the Son of Man isn't consuming, if you aren't all in it, then you have no life in you. You have no eternal life. It's not about being religious. It's not about showing up to the services. It's not about, you know, singing along and clapping when somebody gets healed. It's, it, it's not about that. It's about you have to be all in. And people today still don't like to hear that. They want to hear and believe that they can hang on a prayer that they prayed to ask Jesus to come into their heart. But we don't see that in Scripture. You pray a prayer, absolutely. You confess Him as your Lord. You, 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 can, you can do that, that, that is. But salvation is about the grace of God. And it's about our absolute confidence in Him alone to save us. And, and, and the heart causes us to confess our belief in Him. It causes us to ask Him for forgiveness because the Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so when, when we have absolute trusting, saving faith in Jesus Christ alone, we can't have anything else come out of our mouth other than, Jesus, I trust you alone. Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. You are the only way. And so whatever prayer that looks like, that, that's what happens. But absolute surrender is absolutely evidenced by life change. That there's no other example we find in Scripture than that. In Luke chapter 14, it's, it's another example where we see that there were great multitudes, the Bible says, great multitudes following him. That, that doesn't mean that there was a couple hundred people. That by those estimates and that, that, the, the Greek usage there, these were thousands upon thousands of people. The droves just following Jesus. Man, he was healing people who were lame and couldn't see, and, 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 and life changes were happening all around, and it was super popular to do that. So there were multitudes of people going to Jesus concerts. But then he says this to those multitudes, these great multitudes, if any man comes after me, he doesn't hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters. Yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And we understand that Greek word not to, to literally mean what we understand hate today. It doesn't mean that, that, that I love you and I hate you. It means that I love you, but I love Jesus more than anything. That's, that's the comparison. So if, if you come to Jesus and you say, I, I love you, Jesus, but I really love my kids. It's a tough, no, 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 no. You cannot be my disciple. He said, you have to come to me and love me more than anyone in your life, including your own life. And in verse 33, he would say, so likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. You can't call yourself a disciple, a follower of Christ, if you're not willing and if you're not saying, I'm no longer living for me, I'm no longer giving uh, my, my attention, my effort, my thoughts, my heart to things of this world and things of myself. It's all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. And this, for me, gives us a good philosophy for our outreach today. We can't have a message that's pleasing to people or that's easy 
our message has to be the same as it was coming out of the mouth of the Son of God. It takes complete abandon to the Son of God. I no longer have confidence in anything or anyone, including myself. It's in Christ alone. That means our lives look like we are dependent upon Jesus for everything. And I'll be honest with you, the times that we start having confidence, including myself, in in my own strength and own resources are the times that we find ourselves failing. It's, It's a daily dependence. It's, I know that if I don't trust what Jesus has said, if I don't lean on the the, the leading of the Holy Spirit today, then when that trial and that test and that temptation comes, I'm going to fall into it. I have to depend on Him wholly every day. The question is, how are we living our lives? How are we approaching? Are we praying, God, use me up. You have my all. Yes, we should be praying that. Do, do we, should we be seeking for ways to, uh, for, for the love of God to show in us and through us into our community? Absolutely. We, we, we do things and we want to be used and we, we have outreaches and we all that kind of stuff. But the message, the gospel, must be just as clear today as it was then. It has to be sound. That's what the power for salvation is, is the gospel message. It's not in how much we do for the community. It's not how much we show. It's not, all, and all the, again, all those things are good. Jesus fed. Jesus healed. Jesus did all those things. But what, the, the, what brought salvation was the gospel, the good news message. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you think you have eternal life in any other way other than coming to Jesus Christ and completely surrendering all, then I urge you to consider your eternal fate. Don't think that because you said a prayer, because you go to church or it's in your head, that you're going to heaven. It's an absolute trust and surrender, confidence in Christ alone. It means that we're all in. We've held nothing back. That we're not thinking that there might be some other way. It means that where he leads, I will follow. Nothing or no one comes before, including myself. The good news, you say, man, that's, that's tough. The good news is if you haven't done that, you can still do that today. It's still available. The door is still open. If you haven't surrendered all, you have to know he is the only way. He is the only way. His death on the cross, paying the price through shedding his blood for our sins, the resurrection, showing that he is God alone and the only way to life. I urge you to make that matter straight if you've not done that. Again, these 120, they were all inners. And that's point number three. We're going any further. The church is a unified group of all inners. And yeah, I, I might have made that word up, but that's okay. We can, we can make, I've talked this about this before too. That would be a, a pretty good shirt, right? I'm an all inner. The problem is, is if people ask what it means. How hypocritical would it be for me to wear? And we need to be all inners. We need to be, I am not here for me. I'm not here 
for my family. I'm not here for my job. I'm not, I, none of these things gave me breath. None of these things died on the cross. None of these people, none of these people are my God. There is one God in my life. There's one who gives me life. There's one who died on the cross for me. There is one God and Savior and Lord of all, and He is the one I'm living for. That, that's, what, that's the mindset and the hearts that we've got to have every day. And it doesn't mean that, that, that we don't take care of our stuff on this earth. It means that the Lord and His work, His mission, it is all about that. All of that fits into that context. It's not us trying to fit God into the context of our life here on this earth. It's all of the stuff in our life fits in the context of God's eternal mission. That's what it's supposed to be about. That's what these, this first church was doing. They were gathered in obedience to the Lord's command. And Peter stands up and begins to lead this group. And he says in verse 16, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost spake before, uh, beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So he said, look, this had to be fulfilled. We know we're all here. One, one big elephant in the room is the fact that Judas, he, he, he betrayed Christ. But the Scripture had to be fulfilled so, so that this would, would come true. He was numbered among us and was lauded his share in this ministry. In verse 18, now this man acquired a field with a reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of his bow, and in all of his bowels gushed out. The Bible is raw, man. <laughs> That's real. It's talking about Judas. When he hung himself, fell down, and it said his guts busted out. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Ekeldama. That is a field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. I want you to imagine with me the great distress and the great hurt that must have been floating around in these disciples' minds and hearts, right? They'd just seen Jesus. They, they, it, was, it was amazing that they'd experienced the ascension, they, but they had just spent three and a half years with, with one of their own who at the last moment, in the desperate moment, was the one that betrayed their Lord. Judas, he was numbered with them. He was a part of them. They, he had experienced the entire ministry, even up to the Last Supper with these guys. And he was a traitor. Can you imagine their minds and their thoughts in the, in the flesh? I can't believe him. Why would he do this? Why, why would he act like that? How do you do that? I see something here in this text, and I see an understanding that Peter had at this point. He's bringing to the church's remembrance. And if you read in, in, in Peter's epistle, he, he, he tells the readers there that that's his job is to stir them up in repen, uh, remembrance of the things that were spoken. That's what pastor's jobs are, you know, is to remind the church, is keep it always before us. He's bringing the church's remembrance that God had a plan for this all along. It was spoken by a prophet. That even what seems like a horrible circumstance to mankind, that even through that, God's will is accomplished. Judas was an instrument of Satan, no doubt. Jesus even said that. Satan has filled your heart. But that wasn't done without the allowance of God. Jesus gave him permission to do that. Go and do what you must do. That's a phenomenal thought to me. That to me is such a, as a human and, 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 and a follower of Christ, it, it's such a struggle for me to wrap my mind around those things. How the, the allowance of God, the almighty, the righteous, the holy, the just, would allow something so terrible to go on. Deception, betrayal, traitor, 
uh, I mean, all those things. To, to Why would God do that? Why would God allow such a terrible, horrible thing to happen? It doesn't make sense to us. Why? Well, we know after the fact that it brought about the beautiful yet terrible death of our Savior that opened the door for salvation for us. That revealed the great mystery of salvation for all. And we need to remember this. We need to learn from the first church, the last point. Our lives must not be defined by decisions and emotions, but decisions of faith in God and in His Word. It's so easy to get emotional, right? That's what we see all over the news. That's what we see all over social media. A bunch of emotion. But the people of God are supposed to be driven and defined by decisions of faith in God and in His Word. Not in decisions of emotion, fleshly emotion. So why is that the point and why is that so important? I've shared many times that we must, not be, we must be careful not to let our emotions blind us to spiritual reality and spiritual responsibility, right? That's what happens. That's what, that's what happens when we get emotional. We begin to see red. We begin to see emotion, and we want to react, and we want to speak, and we want to type all right there in that emotion. And, and we can't allow those emotions to blind or be blinders to our spiritual responsibility and reality. These apostles were there. They could have been caught in a tailspin of emotions, dwelling on the fact that they were supposed to have 12, that they were supposed to have that other guy who, who, who did that to them. And how dare Judas do that? And, and now God's plan is all messed up. What are we going to do now? But what happened in the midst of all that and why this point is so important is Peter stands up and reminds them of the sovereign God's word. He reminds them of the God of all creation Having witnessed what they just witnessed, and now he stands up and says, guys, remember, God said this had to happen. God ordained this. In verse 21, he says, and one of the, one of the men who have accomplished, uh, accompanied us during all that time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. Now, the primary office of the apostle, again, was to testify personal observation of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to show how his glorified life and testify of it, be messengers of it. And so what Peter says, look, God has ordained this. We now need to take action. We need to do what God has given us responsibility to do. He was leading them to say, we've got to do this together. We all have to do the same thing. We have to have the same mind. We have to have the same heart. Can you imagine if John at that point said, Peter, I don't want to do it. I've been doing this for a while. I want to do it like this. No, Peter said, look, we got to be together. we got to do this together. This is what we're going to do. So what happened is this. Look at verse 23. They put forward. They did it together. This is what the church was going to do. They put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, and I'm almost done, you Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of us, uh, of, the, of these two that you have chosen. Take place of the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside 
to go to his own place. And they cast lots, and they fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 disciples. It's interesting that casting lot is, is more evident in the Old Testament. Seventy times it was talked about in the Old Testament compared to seven times in the New Testament. I don't think that that's necessarily how we're supposed to make decisions today. Casting lots. Whether it was putting stones in a cup and, or, and pulling one out or, or, or however it was done. We, we need to understand this. We have the complete Word of God today. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us individually as Christians and inside the church, it says. So rolling dice, flipping a coin, casting lots isn't necessarily what we do. The Bible says the peace of God is to sit in our hearts and rule as a governor. It says that he sets up leaders to, to lead. He is the leader. What were they doing wrong in this? Some people say that they did it wrong because later the Holy Spirit would choose Paul, call Paul. We don't see that or hear that, and I'm not going to say which side I fall on because I see the good in what they were doing and what they were trying to accomplish together. They were praying. They were, t- they were praying for the same thing. Some say, well, weren't they jumping the gun if Paul later was called? Maybe. The point was that they were together. And they were trying to follow the Lord's leading for the church. So the message this morning is clear. As again, our points. God is the God of the impossible. Church, we have to live our lives like that. Secondly, remember, this first church was found continuing in one accord in prayer and supplications. We've got to ask ourselves, how devoted are we to that? How devoted are we to praying for the will and the work of God? Thirdly, are we truly all inners? Are you all in? Are you like one of the multitudes that would just kind of show up periodically and see what was going on, and then when you heard something you didn't like, you'd leave? Or what, what about a, do you show up every single time, and yet you, you hear those things and you don't say, all right, I'm all in, daily surrendering? And then the last thing, we have to give effort to ensure that our lives are not defined by decisions and emotion, but decisions of faith in God and in his word. Let's, let's respond to this church. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Our, our altars are going to be open for the first time in a long time. And if you want to come down here as Brother Tony plays, uh, then you're more than welcome to. But let's make sure that we say, God, we want to be the church that you want us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Lord, I ask you to just move now as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.